you ever wonder if she finished on 69 chapters on purpose? I was about to say 69 was a very appropriate <laughs> chapter <laughs> like <book>. for the book. <laughs> I was like, this bitch did that on purpose. Hey guys. What's up? Welcome back to the Booked and Boozy podcast. I'm Brooke. And I'm Jada. What's in your cup? Got a Mountain Dew Baja Blast frozen, and I poured a crap ton of Malibu in it, so I'm feeling myself today. I feel like I've spent $7 on a drink when really I've only spent like two. What are you drinking though? Um, well, I just had a glass of wine. Um, gonna make a poor decision and pair that with, it's probably two shots of vodka in here. And then I'm about to, oh! <laughs> oh, that sounded good. Is you opening me? <laughs> that sounded good. That was like complete ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> 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 what is that though? Is that uh, a it's a white claw. Brad went out and got stuff. We're usually truly people. I don't hate white claws, but we're usually truly people. And I was like, Brad, I need something to pair with my vodka. And he went out to go get us uh, fries because we had burgers tonight. So you're drinking. She Okay, guys. So she's drinking a white claw and she's pouring it over her two shots of vodka. Yeah, absolutely. That to me sounds like I would uh, be toasted, but you know, to each their own. We'll <laughs> We'll see who survives the end of this episode. And that's after a glass of wine, too. So that's like 100% a headache in the morning. You're going to be feeling yourself. Yeah, probably. I expect great things by the end of this episode. Honestly, the things that I've got to talk about today, though, like requires alcohol. <laughs> you, you need it. You truly need it. But I'm excited for it. All right. So... This is our Akamath episode. We're really excited. Um, I have not finished the book series yet, but this is Jada's favorite book in the entire series. So we're pretty pumped. I feel like if this isn't your favorite book in the series, you're lying, honestly. I feel like a lot of people like Akawar, though. And like I said, I haven't finished it, but it does have a different vibe. There's some more action going on. I loved Akawar, but this one is just everything wrapped up in a nice little bow. Yeah, I agree. Um, But before we crack into the book, um, we want to start off with a couple polls that we have put up on our different social medias. Um, If you don't follow us, our Instagram is Booked and Boozy Podcast and our Twitter is Booked and Boozy. We're going to first start out with the first poll that we ever did, and it is the Rysand versus Resand pronunciation. Highly controversial. (laughs) Jada, why don't you tell them how you pronounce it? I pronounce it like any civil person would as ricened. I mean, I kind of like to be a little bit of a rebel, so it's a little bit contradicting because I know what the back of the book says, but Brooke agrees with me on this one, thankfully. I do. We both say ricened, and to me, it just sounds more attractive. I don't know. It does. There's like a little bit of spice with rice. Spice with your rice. (laughs) But Brooke, um, what, do, what do the people think? So on Twitter, 29% of the people voted that they say it, Rysand, and 71% said they pronounce it Rysand. Mm. But on Instagram, it was 50-50 split. A, I feel like I was expecting that, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I was expecting it too. Y'all just read the back of the book. 
<laughs> you overachievers. <laughs> you overachievers. Okay. Get with us on our level. It definitely looks like it's like when, to me, when she uses the hyphenation of his name, R H Y S, I don't see Reese. I see rice. <laughs> it's 100% rice. 100%. I'm sorry. Um, and so we also ran another poll and it was a, who is your favorite character in the first book? I feel like a lot of people didn't pay attention to the first book part when they answered this, but maybe you did. Maybe you did. Um, so on Twitter, um, favorite character, 25% voted Tamlin, 25% voted Lucian, 33% voted Rysan, and 17% said the cereal. I'm pretty sure I was uh, about 17%. Okay, but who was the winner? I can't, I can't remember. That was Rizan on Twitter. On Instagram, it only let me give uh, two options for a poll, but I have since figured out a way around that. You don't run a poll. You run like a, like a questionnaire almost. But anyways, at that point, I could only put in two options. And so I put in Tamlin and Lucian. 43% said that they liked Tamlin and 57% said they liked Lucian. Yes. I feel like I knew that though. Yeah. It was like, I was surprised though, because yesterday when I checked that poll, it was leaning more towards Tamlin. And today when I checked it, it was leaning more, more towards Lucian. So he's the hot best friend. So I, I did not vote on this one. (laughs) (laughs) It did not sway in the poll this time. (laughs) All right. Hit me with it. All right. So chapter one, actually, no, no, no. Let's back up. Before chapter one, there's like an introduction chapter. And it starts off with Farah having nightmares of when she, when she was under the mountain. She was having severe symptoms of PTSD. And she was feeling so much guilt for what she had done um, in the last book that she says, maybe I'd always be this broken and dark inside. As if she's just like questioning her entire sense of self. And it just seems like her self-loathing even runs so deep that at the end of the first dream that we're led into, she stabs herself, her face self, in the chest with an ash blade. Which, FYI, that's hella foreshadow. And, I mean, you kind of see it at the end of the first book of how much she is going to hate herself after what she does. But the first book kind of ended on a happy note. And then this one starts and it's like, really deep depression, PTSD, anxiety, just like it really shows, it is a really good portrayal of those mental health issues. I was surprised, honestly, because the way that the book ended, I kind of knew something was about to happen. However, it started off super dark. It did. I was not expecting that. And, you know, just to put the icing on the cake, Tamlin just sleeps beside her and either just sleeps through it and doesn't care or just ignores it. Or he goes to his own room. I was so. already pissed. And I, I, I ended the last book liking him and wanting to stay there. And I was like, okay, this is already not going in a good direction. It was so hard for me to get through the first 10 chapters, honestly. Yeah. That's why I took them. Cause I know you hated them. I hate it. But um, since the last book, Tamlin has proposed. He gave her an emerald ring, and he is still going out. He's going on trips um, with his sentries, and they're going to. Um, there's a lot of Amarantha's creatures still running around that they're still trying to take care of and get rid of. And so, Tamlin thinks that it's not safe to bring Feyre along. She's pissed, rightfully so. 
and um, she is left at home just to do more of like party planning. They're getting married to wedding planning, just the more feminine things um, that she absolutely did not want to be a part of. Um, he basically set her up to be a trophy wife, which like, listen, that is my main goal in life. <laughs> Brooke is a trophy wife. <laughs> It's not going to last, but <laughs> I am living out my dream right now, but it's not for everyone. And it wasn't for Farah. So, um, but not only that, he was so controlling. He was, he was, I think what happened under the mountain just scarred him so deeply that he like, well, one, he didn't help her at all. As we, I think we made our point in the, in the last episode. We he didn't help her at all on him in the last episode. We really did. He didn't help her at all. And she was going through these trials and then she died. I mean, she actually died. And then I think he just, he might just feel so much guilt from not helping her or being able to help her that he just doesn't want that to happen again. But it comes off in a really controlling and negative way. That's a great way to put it. Even though I fucking hate him. Uh, I don't hate him, but we'll, we'll, I don't like him, but we'll get into it later. She just feels really different from her human self that she once was. And she's just no longer interested in things that used to bring her joy in life, such as painting. So basically, Anthony comes in. She's Tamlin's childhood friend. She's a high priestess. I still don't really know what that means. Um, <laughs> but she basically comes in and is really Feyre's only friend. Feyre vents to her a lot. She feels really comfortable with her. Anthony helps pick out like all of the party details and like what she's gonna wear and those sorts of things and um but she's also a little scandalous because you know in our definition usually like priest priestesses there's not really priestesses but priests are usually like a celibate and they don't bang but But that's not the case (laughs) (laughs) that is not the case in (laughs) Parisian. but then you know as she's dallying in all the finest men she it becomes apparent that she's pretty interested in lucian but lucian doesn't really reciprocate reciprocate that for her and then you know fair is just kind of like reveling in herself trying to figure out who she is as you know she's basically been remade into this being that um she's not familiar with and she's trying to work out all of all of her thoughts and feelings and she says to herself at one point I wasn't Tamlin's mate, as far as I knew. There was no mating bond between us. Her first instinct is generally, I would say, correct. And I think I said that in the last book. It seems like her, well, not always. I mean, like, let's, she got caught by the Ator within, like, two seconds. That was poor <laughs> instinct. <laughs> but I would say, for the most part, her instincts are pretty spot on. So before they get married, she's like engaged to Tamlin. She's, you can tell that she's kind of not very excited about it. And they, they just got done banging, doing the deed. And she rolls over to Tamlin and she's like, hey, like when I get married, like what title am I going to have? And he looks at her and he's like, do you want a title? As, a, as if like, you're not going to get one. Like, what are you expecting? And she says she doesn't know if she can handle being called high lady. And then he goes, there's no such thing as high lady. Okay. I mean, the fact that he shot her down like that, I don't know. It's not like she was even asking, but the way that he said it back just kind of gave me like a feel that I didn't like. It was almost like, oh, you, you want to be my equal? Question mark? Really? 
I didn't think about that. You know, that's not how it works. Uh, Yeah. He's already not painting himself pretty well in this first book. Tamlin feels a little guilty and, you know, he lets her out. Let's is the key word there. He lets her out and she goes with Lucian to one of these nearby villages, talks to him about how she almost feels very trapped. And then you kind of get a glimpse into her inner thoughts and she starts talking about how like the inside of the manor just feels too permanent. And she describes how she's found an exit in literally every room. And that was a huge red flag for me. But she had done that anyway prior when they had taken her the first time. But the fact that she's still thinking like that just shows she's not in a therapeutic mindset. You know, especially with her PTSD going on, what is happening around her is not necessarily helping her. It's inhibiting her and basically putting her back into old habits. Like she's still in danger, but she's really not. Right. Not to say, yeah, that's true. Not to say that can always be prevented, especially with PTSD, but Tamlin is not helping (laughs) Like, not at all. He's not even trying. Nope. And I think there was a part of the book that said, like, he acknowledged that she was having these feelings and he was having nightmares himself. But, like, they didn't ever talk about it. They didn't acknowledge it. Like, they just, he just wasn't there for her. And that's, you know, not what you want in a husband. They had very poor communication with each other. They did. Yeah. It was just mostly, like, sex. And they communicate in, like, completely different ways. Like, I don't think that they're compatible. Yeah, I don't either. So they're on their horses and they're going to this village, her and Lucian. And she's like, why didn't you tell me about the Naga attack? Because there was one and Lucian got hurt from it. And he goes, Tamlin said, I shouldn't tell you. He's my high Lord. He gives me an order and I follow it. And then Lucian, yeah. And then Lucian goes, you don't know how hard it is for him to even let you off the state grounds. And Farrah says, I didn't realize I had become a prisoner. She is a prisoner. She is. She is. Lucian responds by saying, you will forgive him if his family's own slaughter keeps him from being so liberal with your safety. Which, oof. Think about that. Think about it. His family's own slaughter keeps him from being so liberal with your safety. It was partially your fault. Not only that. I just think that's a really big foreshadow. I don't know if you're catching on. No, it is a big foreshadow. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. 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 And I think it's interesting to note that the night before um, her wedding, she has a nightmare about the second task with the hot spikes pressing down towards her. And she says closer and closer, there was no one coming to save me from this horrible death. And I just find that ironic as the hours of her wedding are getting closer and closer Yeah, I didn't even make that connection, but it makes complete sense because she was like, I'm literally going to walk into this and no one's going to help me. Like, I have to get myself out of this again. (laughs) Right. And then if you remember in the second task, she couldn't get herself out of it. She was thinking nobody's going to be able to help me. She can't read. And then Rice saves her. Yeah, that's true. Which it is your own wedding, girl. Like, you should call it off beforehand. (laughs) You know, like that is her responsibility. I'm not saying that, but she feels so suffocated and like she has made all these decisions and basically risked her life for this guy. And she's like, well, why the fuck do I not want to marry him? But her instinct is playing another role in this. Right. 
Um, so her wedding day comes. She's put in this horrendous wedding gown. It reminds me of on Toy Story, the little Bo Peep. Yes. That is ex- that's what comes to mind. That's a great visual. I did not <laughs> think about that. <laughs> uh, and let's see. Everyone just thought she was super nervous, but I think deep down that feeling was hesitation, and I don't think she really understood that until she got to the end of the aisle. But the, I think the only other person that picked up on it was Alice because she says, you sound like you're going to your funeral. She was like, bitch, you not only look like death, you sound like death. Are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) (laughs) But like you said in the last video, she has always been able to read her so well. And that's her motherly instincts. I love this character. She's my fave. And so she walks down the aisle. She's like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she gets to the end and she freezes and she literally can't get up on the platform with Tamlin. She's like literally in her mind, like screaming for help. Like somebody in this, someone save me. And then all of a sudden, hello, Farrah darling. And I swooned. Like I didn't even like him in the last book. And I swooned at that no, moment. No, I was ready for it. I was like, thank God. I mean, I saw it coming at this point because I was like, there's a reason we haven't seen him. Okay. And during the wedding, when he finally appeared, I was like, thank God, this was getting super boring. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Rice, with all of his sexiness, shows up and is like, give me the bitch. I'm calling in the bargain. And Tamlin's like, stop oh. me. Yeah. Tamlin's like, now? And he's like, yeah, bitch. Farah is thinking, she literally says in her head, he knew through that bond, through whatever magic was between us. Ooh. Magic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then Tamlin's like, if you hurt her. And then in this moment, Farrah's really put off because she's like, he's going to let him take me. Yeah. It's like, goddamn. I mean, he makes up this huge show about how he's going to protect her and he's going to keep her in the fucking house and this and that. And you can't go do this. And then like the second somebody else shows up, He's like, you can't take her. But he's got nothing to show for again. Right. And he doesn't even fight for her. And it's their wedding ni- wedding day. And she's literally about to like walk up on the aisle with him. She's really not. But he thinks she is. And she's literally about to step up there and like get married to him. And he's just like, mm, okay, mm-hmm. don't hurt her. <laughs> what a fucking pussy. So she gets to the night court. And not only, I think it's interesting because in the last book, she notes that Rice is the most beautiful man that she's ever seen, but she literally thinks in her head once she gets to the night court that where she is is the most beautiful place that she's ever seen. Uh, I would love to be in the night court. I love the fact that the whole castle was like made out of moonstone. Like it was almost like opalescent to me and it was just beautiful. And there are these snowy mountains in the distance. And there is this like strange warmth that was held in by the magic, even though they were surrounded by cold and open windows. And it was just like, and I think that might've thrown a lot of people off when they first got to the night court, because they do make you think throughout the books that this is a scary, evil place. And like, you're scared for Pharaoh once she leaves with Rice, even though you kind of see the goodness in him in the last book. And she like gets all pissed off and throws her shoe at him and like basically goes to bed and takes a nap. Um, that was one of my one of my favorite scenes in the book because he was like so surprised that she actually did it. Yeah, he was. And then she threw a second one. And he's like, like oh, homeboy, you're not that slick. 
Another thing interesting to note, and there's so many details in these first 15 chapters that I'm trying to get through because there's so many parallels between Tamlin and Resand, but she describes her room as so varyingly contrasted from the prison that she described in the spring court. I thought that was interesting. So her room there felt like a dream, but her room in the spring court felt like a prison. Makes me really sad, actually. I know. So the next morning she goes to breakfast and she meets more. She walks in with this, it's like a turquoise dress and her blonde hair is flowing. And she literally describes more as like, if Rice is the most beautiful man she's ever met, then more is her equivalent. And Rice introduces the idea of maybe teaching her how to read because he remembers that that second task didn't go too well in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Then after he starts teaching her how to read, he like goes into her mind through that like mind control thing that they can do. And he shows her how easy it is for someone like him to just be able to shatter her mind with the snap of his fingers. And so then they begin working on building up her mental shields. Um, And I just think it's cool that, you know, even though she's kind of opposed this person, she's already starting to let him in a little bit. She's kind of trusting him enough to be like, okay. Right. That comfort that she has with Rice, even though there is, or Reese, God damn it. She didn't trust Tamlin or even Lucian with that. They weren't even concerned about her need to read. They were just concerned about putting her in this little Bo Peep dress and getting her down the aisle and making babies. I mean, that's kind of the feel. You know, Rice kind of, you know, already from the start wants her to start almost becoming, not his equal, but start becoming more of her own person. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Like I said, the parallels between the two, even just in the first 10 chapters are just, mm, chef's kiss. So then he takes her upstairs to this chamber on top of the tower and he's like, War is coming, and it freaks her out. You know, this is the first time Hybern is really introduced. Okay, so he basically says to her, I brought you here for three reasons. I want you to talk to Tamlin about forming an alliance, and I want you to catch the cereal, and I want you to be able to train and harness those powers that you've been given from all of the High Lords. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have powers. And he's like, you do. You come from each of us. And what if you could stand on your own against us as a high lady? And Fair is like, there are no high ladies. And Rice goes, we'll talk about that later too. Also, I'm just thinking about like how he was like, has anyone ever told you you're like kind of strong? <laughs> I'm sure the second she like flung the shoe at him, he was like calculating like, okay, <laughs> I think that maybe he could possibly sense it down the bond. Yeah, and he's he could like, probably- why has nobody addressed this with you? You know, Rice says, Tamlin isn't your keeper. And Farrah says, I'm a subject and he's my high lord. And Rice says, you are no one's subject. Hot. <laughs> just straight up hot. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would be like, say that again. <laughs> at this point, I'm like, I'm at this point, me who finished the book, really liking Tamlin has gotten to the point that's like, okay, I'm already leaning towards Resand again. It's like. I'm already starting to think, wow, there were so many red flags that I didn't notice or that have come up since Under the Mountain and he's just not processing his emotions well. We love a male feminist. I'm all about it. And he's just like teaching her to read things like, Rysand is the most handsome High Lord, the most delightful High Lord. Rysand is gorgeous. His intentions were clear from day one. She blind. Okay, (laughs) she blind. 
For real. But she had more things to worry about. She was working through so many things. I can see why her as a character would kind of put it on the back burner. But we were all like, oh, honey, he is into you. And so then she goes back to the spring court. And Tamlin, I did give him brownie points for this. He does make sure that she's okay. That's like the first thing he does when she gets back. But it's just interesting to see that, you know, Farah at this point is basically Tamlin's spy. And Which doesn't very- last long. <laughs> But it's a very interesting parallel to the end of the book. She starts off being the spy at night court, but then she's like, we say things that I have powers and Tamlin's like, no, I'm not going to train you because it'll just attack, attract attention from other high Lords and they'll kill you for it. And then she thinks to herself, you are no one subject. She's like, okay, why am I thinking these thoughts? Like, did he get in my head? But I think. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> it's really, it's truly the moment that she begins to wake up and be like, wait, this isn't right. I think it would just be like any other friend. Like if I told you, I think you're making a stupid fucking decision, letting this person run you over. And then you're in a situation with that person and you're like getting that alarm off in your head. Like they are being shitty. That's exactly what Jada said. I didn't put that in your brain you notice the shitty situation and i basically validated it right right and to be honest he was just looking out for her he had good intentions behind it but you know with her being the date they they mati they matai for herself like oh he might have really altered my thoughts it's a valid thought but like at this point i think she's just trying to like find an excuse for her negative thoughts about tamlin so she's in denial She's in denial. The next chapter leads into the tithe, which is bullshit to me. Bullshit. This that is was such. I, that was such a weird fucking chapter, was it not? It was, but I'm glad that it happened. It was the last straw for me and Tamlin. It honestly. was. This was the point where I was like, okay, I really don't like this guy because he described. She's like, why do we do this? We don't need these things. And he's like, well, it's how my father did it and his father before him, so we keep the tradition. But you're literally taking things from people when you're rich as fuck just to like, and then you're slaughtering them if they can't pay. That's just so wrong and it makes no sense. But anyways, she points out that he had been sat on a dais. Yeah, this whole thing is just him asserting power over everybody. It's just meh. And so she's basically like, I hadn't been sat on a platform like him, but was kneeling before it. Ew. I know. I hate that. So the only thing worth noting about the tithe is the water wraith, which I loved this part. Um, The water wraith basically comes in and is like, we have no fish, we can't pay. And Tamlin's like, fuck you, I don't care. Bring me fish. And she's like, they ain't no fish, bitch. And then (laughs) he's like, you got three days. And so then Farrah finds finds her outside and is like, no, let me help you. And gives her all the jewelry off of her and is like, go pay your debt. And then the water wraith is like, I won't forget this. I know fair can be a whiny, Farah can be a whiny ass bitch. But honestly, at that point, when she basically gave the water wraith whatever she had on her, I was like, that's a ride or die right there. We could be friends. That, that's a queen. That's how a queen should That's a act. queen. That's a queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, guys, um, I feel like this is very appropriate. I'm wearing a shirt that says God is a woman. I'm channeling. Very Farrah. appropriate. Very appropriate. 
Considering, I mean, like, if you want to get down to it, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I low-key fucking love how Pharaoh just becomes the fucking avatar of Perithian. Tamlin's real pissed that Pharaoh gave the water wraith her jewelry. And, like, if his character didn't already suck enough from everything else he's done, then she's basically like, Tamlin, I'm fucking drowning here and you're not helping me. And then Tamlin gets mad and blows up the study. And Farrah, like, shields herself. And then Tamlin's like, whoa, she actually has powers. To me, it's almost like the only thing she really needed to be protected from was him. He's working so hard to protect her from everything and everyone else. But it's like, he's the one that keeps hurting her. And that was the main thing. She shielded herself. If right. she wouldn't have reacted on instinct in that moment, she would have been dead. So when she gets back to the night court, uh, Reese is basically like, hey, I still want to train you. And she's like, well, why do you want to use me? And he's like, I could never use you. Like, listen, I was tortured, beaten, and fucked for 50 years. And I just want to prevent that from happening to anyone else. And I think that's the first time Pharaoh realizes the gravity of what he went through under the mountain without really knowing the details. She gets back to the spring court and ten little bitch, that's all you need to know. Period. Okay. That's the first first half of the book. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. So Lucian actually sticks up for Pharaoh and wants her to be able to train. And he's like, listen, I'm going to talk to Tamlin. I'm going to try and convince him that, you know, you need to be able to defend yourself no matter what. And Tamlin gets pissed and he's like, no, she doesn't need to train. Like, we've already been through this. And basically locks her in the house and wards it and traps her inside. And she absolutely freaks the fuck out and loses it, unleashing all of her power. It's almost like all of the Seven High Lords' powers come out right at that moment. And in that moment, she, like, throws off her wedding ring. It melts into the ground. It's gone forever. That symbolism, bitch. And then Moore walks in and rescues her. And I was just like, yes. I do have something to say about that. A lot of people think that Farah is, like, super overreactive in that moment. But I think it's really important to talk about that she was having like a full on almost like a flashback like what it would be like living within a flashback she's having a full-blown mental breakdown because she's put in that same situation of terror of being under the mountain except she's trapped in a place where she's supposed to be safe and she's living through it all over again so like no wonder she freaking reacted that way Like on top of like being felt like she was trapped, she was put in a cell for weeks on weeks on weeks. She really was trapped at one point. So like, I agree with what you said. She's just reliving that over and over. And Tamlin doesn't get that. It's important to note that this is the second time that Reese has come in to rescue her in this book alone. And, you know, she comes into the night court. She's taken, she's taken away from the spring court by Moore. She's not taken against her will, but she's rescued And Reese is like, hey, I understand what you're going through. If you want to go back to the spring court, I will take you. This is 100% your choice. And he always makes it her choice. He always makes it. I can't really think of one part in the book where he's like, you have to do this. He'll be like, I don't really want you to do this. I'm like fearful of you and I'm being honest with you about it. But it is your choice at the end of the day. And that's on communication. I don't know why people pick that apart so much but I think it's true and also 
while more is taking Farah away from that situation, I think it's important to note that more repeatedly over and over tells Farah that she's safe and that she's going to be okay. And I love that. She basically tells Reese, he, you know, he's like, if you want to go back, you can. And she goes, I'm not going back. And I was like, yes, bitch. <laughs> Don't. <Atta> baby. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, he's like, I still really want to train you, but it's 100% your decision. I'm taking you to this special place. Um, but if you go, you have to swear that you'll never tell anyone. And then he takes her to the townhouse in Valoris. And we're finally getting to the good part. <laughs> Finally, that was so much here. That was so much information. I'm sorry, but like the parallels between the two, once you're, you're like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, spring court, night court. Oh, night court again. You know, like it sets a stage though. It does. She finally gets to Polaris and Rhysand is like, I want to take you out and give you a tour. And she basically just kind of starts off. She notices how beautiful it is, but she gets really upset because while the rest of Perithian is in ruin from Amarantha, Valaris was kept safe, and she doesn't really understand why. He's like, she's like, why would you just protect this one area and not try and save the rest of the world? And he's like, well, it's warded. Literally, nobody's known about it for like 5,000 years. Like, it's literally unknown to her. She's still kind of upset, but she kind of starts to get it a little bit, and... They're just walking through the town together. And I think it's really important to note the contrast. Again, the contrast between these two high lords because Reeson walks down the road and he knows every single one of the people's names. He knows all of their names and they just address him by Reeson. Not high lord, you know, they're not scared of him. And they just act like he's a normal person and he acts like they're his friends. He's not a dictator. Right. Yes. Not a dictator. He puts everybody on the level playing field. Nobody's higher than others, even though there is a social hierarchy. He doesn't act like it. He's not an asshole. So he's like, I want you to meet the rest of my family. And he takes her to the house of wind. He picks her up and he flies her there. And on the way there, she says to him, I'm thinking that I was a lonely, hopeless person. And I might have fallen in love with the first thing that showed me a hint of kindness and safety. Maybe he wanted to be that person for someone, and maybe that worked for who I was before, but maybe it doesn't work for who or what I am now. Which I think is completely true. That's her instincts coming to life. I will say it again. It wraps up that entire situation. Right. 100%. So, okay, this is an important thing to note. Do you think that Tamlin was trying to protect Feyre, or do you think that maybe he didn't want her to train because he didn't want her to become more powerful than him? I think it's both. I think, oh my God, here I am about to say something nice about Tamlin. One time, people. (laughs) I think that he struggled with the old ideas that were in place, but he still followed them blindly. And even force people into them, including Farah, which was wrong. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It probably wasn't like a male dominant thing in him. It was just what was set in the old ways and he wanted to follow tradition. And he had that mindset. He couldn't think outside the box. They were just a toxic relationship. They were. They They had too much going on and they kept clashing at every moment. It just was not going to be a good end for them. So tell me your first thoughts of Valaris. I've been waiting for this. 
But yeah, it felt so dreamy and airy and open. And I love the wintertime. So the fact that it had that whole feel to it and it just, I felt like if this is going to sound weird, I could feel the texture of everything. You know, it's not like I not only knew what it looked like, I knew what it smelled like. I knew what it felt like to walk on. I don't know what the floor was like, but I was like moonstone everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just like got this whole feel. To me, Valaris felt like the most, I guess, like earthly place in Perithian so far to me. Like there were townhouses and cafes and there was this river. And it, to me, it felt like I could find this place in real life. Like I could maybe go to Europe and find somewhere that I felt like I was in Valaris. I sure hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to find Valaris. Okay. (laughs) All right, guys, we are on to round two. I have had to get another drink. I have mango lemonade this time. A truly. It actually tastes good. Brooke, how are you doing on your drink? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm going back and forth between wine and um, my White Claw vodka duo. (laughs) That would make me throw up. I don't know how you're doing that. Uh, Yeah, it's just going to give me a splitting headache in the morning. All right. So we've kind of hit the lineup where she's in Valerius. She's about to go meet the inner circle. She's already sworn that she's not going to tell anyone. But she was like, and I think this is so funny now. She was like, I don't know who these people are. She's When she goes into this meeting to the House of Wind, she has this very spring court mindset that everyone in Perinthian is like spring court, except for the fact that she just saw that the night court literally looks and feels the exact opposite of that. So our lineup, when they get to the House of Wind, is Cassian, Israel, Moore, and Imran. It's a beautiful lineup. All of them. All of them. Cassian, he was immediately playful. And he is introduced as the general. Azriel is our lovely spy master and honestly my favorite male of the book. And it's a bad boy. She's oh, yeah. a bad boy. He is my bad boy. But he automatically comes off to me as like this sweet side to him. Even though when Fair even shakes his hand for the first time, she's like, whoa, this bro is not playing. He's still, you can still see it, almost like this softness in his eyes. More, of course, she's always coming in looking good as fuck. She's like wearing this like red gown that's like flowing everywhere. And I mean like... I can't even handle it. <laughs> and then Emren, she finally meets her. They were kind of, I think all of them were like, oh my God, we don't know how this is going to go when she meets Emren. But Emren is this little small, does she, is she described with short black hair? Yeah. Because that's what I see in all of the fan art, which is amazing. Like all the fan art I see of her is amazing. Mm-hmm. But she's got those silver eyes and literally it just pierces Farah. <laughs> And it's intimidating. When I first met the inner circle, I was like, these are so many new characters. It's like, who are you? (laughs) Do you even belong here? Who are you? (laughs) Scrape the board. We need a new cast. Like, just get rid of them. (laughs) Let's start over. And we did. And Farrah had to start all over too because she quickly realized that the night court structure and spring court structure were going to be completely different. 
And she said some really cringy things throughout the dinner. I don't even remember what she said, but they were just like, no, we don't do that here. (laughs) (laughs) Like take your um, toxic masculinity somewhere else. We don't do that here. Oof. Oof. But at the end of the dinner, Pharaoh's like, okay, I've met your crew. They seem fine, (laughs) even though they're a little odd put together, but I'm going to take you up on your offer and I'm going to work for you. And I think that this was a good part in the book because even if Rice didn't end up with Farah, he still wanted her to have a place in his life without any actual concrete relationship. He wanted her to be her own person. He wanted her to be able to defend herself. He wanted her to just live up to her potential. Right. I thought that was, God, I know like the standards for men nowadays are so low, but like (laughs) book boys are always better. Book boys are better. We're both married. Don't tell our husbands. Mine's in the room next to me listening. probably. (laughs) (laughs) And then after she accepts the deal, this kind of leads into the introduction of another major player in the game. It's like she throws all the characters at once. And that is the bone carver and a resurrected Jurian. It's not just Jurian's eye anymore, ladies and gentlemen. It is the full Jurian because <laughs> he's coming back. Oh, and Hyburn. We can't forget about him. Oh, man. Yeah, this whole book was just like a whole new concept. Here you go. All these characters. I was like, you're welcome. Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. They get back to the townhouse. They split up. And immediately after that it kind of goes into the scene where i was like i know this is a flashback or a or a nightmare i'm not really sure but you see amarantha and she's like got a knife up to her again and she's like i'm gonna kill you bitch and all this kind of stuff and basically it gets so bad to the point where farah is burning down the whole townhouse she hasn't even been there but like less than a day and she's like all right i'm burning this bitch up in my sleep so Rice can sense this and he goes into her room and violently shakes her and wakes her up. And in a sense to comfort her, something that I really liked in this book, he s- confesses to her that, you know, he struggles with this too. He was actually therapeutic. He wasn't trying to be something that he wasn't. I think it's interesting that this is another contrast with Tamlin. You know, Reese is in a completely different room and he senses that Fair is upset while Tamlin was laying right next to her and probably knew that she was upset and just didn't do anything about it. And this guy that she, you know, who barely knows her is more concerned than this guy that she's engaged to. Exactly. So I thought it was really nice that he was actually therapeutic in that moment and had something to say instead of nothing at all. (laughs) But she drifts back to sleep, and the next scene is her and Rice heading out to the prison to go see the bone carver. Uh, However, that doesn't work out. She automatically has that stressor, that trigger, essentially, of being under the mountain again. After that, Amrin pops up and is like, wake the fuck up, bitch. It's time to go under the mountain. And she's like, the fuck I am. And she's like, yes, you are. I have this necklace here. (laughs) (laughs) That's fake. But she was like, it's real. (laughs) And because I got out, I know you can get out because of this necklace. I'm like, honestly, I bought it too. I was like, okay, she could never be stuck down there. (laughs) 
It was a great placebo. We'll give her that. <laughs> I was like, damn, I'm dumb as fuck. I fell for that too. <laughs> Thankfully, it gives Farah enough liquid courage. Not liquid. I'm drinking liquid courage. <laughs> it gives her enough courage to go down under the mountain. And so they meet our next major player. Mainly a major player in Akwar, the bone carver. Interesting. I'm not there yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I'm going to have to be really careful from here on out, guys. You have no idea how easy it is for me to spoil something. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I know. I know. You yeah. ruined the Vampire Diaries for me. I'm sorry. You should have finished it. <laughs> <laughs> you go, bitch, it's not my fault. <laughs> how was I supposed to know it's been six years and you haven't even finished the fucking finale? I'm working on it right now, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> But the Bone Carver is also one of my favorite characters because he's just a creepy little dude, you know? I mean, we don't actually know if he's little because he's a shapeshifter. But Rice goes down there and tosses the worm bone at him. Oh, no, the worm. The worm. Here we go again. Here we go again. If you want to talk more about the worm, just go listen to our last episode. So what was even creepier about the bone carver is that he appeared as a young boy with dark hair and blue eyes to Pharaoh. And I don't know, something like, something just made me chill with that. Kind of like it was in a scary movie. It was like some creepy little child. And children are always like the most fucked up in movies. It's like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like murdering the shit out of their families. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is a nice touch. I, I'm kind of here for it. But the bone carver is super obsessed with death. So he's like, bitch, you want information from me? I don't want the worm bone. You're going to have to tell me something good. And then Farah was like, well, I heard the crackalack. Um <laughs> But then she starts talking about how there was like this tiny little piece of thread there. And I just was like screaming because I knew at this point, like I knew I was like, it's the bond. (laughs) (laughs) It's the bond, bitch. (laughs) She was like, I crawled back to it. And she was like, I knew it was the bargain. Bitch, it wasn't the fucking bargain. We all know that. Like, I feel like anyone, if you didn't, I'm curious. Maybe we should make this a Twitter poll. But then I feel like it would be too much of a spoiler. I didn't know it was the bond. So you thought it was the bargain? I knew that she ended that could up- bring her back to life. I don't I don't I don't think I thought it was the bargain. I was just like, why I thought that maybe her soul or her essence went into Resan because he was the one that was most upset and the most the one who was fighting the most for her. And so that maybe her energy was transferred to him because of that connection. I didn't put the bond with her and Resan together. I'm not sure why I didn't. I just didn't think about it. And well, like, unfortunately, I've read this book way too many times to where it's like the foreshadow is there because they were so connected before she had even met Tamlin. Yeah, I guess I just, I had seen some spoilers on TikTok that Reese and Fair ended up together, but I didn't put the connection with the bond. But when the... When the bone carver finally gets that little extra spice that Farrah lays on him, he like starts really laying out the tea. I love the tea spilling characters. They're my favorite. (laughs) And he's like, okay, so here we go. Um, Yes, bitch, the I, aka Jurian, will be resurrected by the cauldron. 
Um, it's in the summer court, and the hottie that protecting it is called Tarkin. And um, theoretically, Farah, you might be able to take down the cauldron with said book. You're welcome. And Rice is like, shut the fuck up. We got to go. <laughs> Your pronunciations to me are super interesting. We pronounce oh God, a lot I of characters a... different. Oh, fuck. Tarkin or Tarquin? Tarquin. Tarquin. I don't know if that's right. Tarquin. And then you do Amrin, like Kylo Ren. <laughs> don't talk about my baby daddy like that. I'm not like, I'm not like judging you on this. I just think it's funny that we <laughs> pronounce them wrong. <laughs> We both are probably pronouncing them wrong. We just do our own thing, okay? Yep, we do our own thing. So now that they have that little piece of information, Rice has this great idea where he's like, well, we can't just send you to summer court. We've got to at least test it first. But everybody in the house, after he told them what he wanted her to do, they were like, fuck no, that's fucking stupid. We're not going to let her do that. And he's like, why the fuck not? Eventually, Fair was like, it's my choice, bitches. I'm going to do it. So she goes and visits another fucking character, the Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> do you, you pronounce it the Weaver, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here, this is like where they actually start flirting. And I love it. Because while he's getting her ready... To go see the weaver. He's like down on his knees. Mm-hmm. And he like scrapes his leg. I mean, fuck. Not his leg. Scrapes his hands up against her thighs. Like, oh, I'm just helping you put on your like knife belt. Okay. Little snippet. When Rice was on his knees, Fair kind of poked at him and was like, so I'm your huntress and your thief. I'm going to go get this fucking whatever the hell it is. And he goes, you are my salvation. Um, And so even when they are actually starting to head toward the weaver in the woods, Rice tries to poke a little bit more fun with Farah, which she doesn't see as flirting. She's just like, he's distracting me. I'm like, bitch, you were blind. (laughs) He goes, you can bang my boy Cassian if it will make you feel better. And she was like, "Um, yeah, you bet. Go ahead and send it to my room right fucking now. You want to play? You want to play like that? If you're not talking about fucking me, I'll fuck your other guy. Like, I was like, you tell him, girl. I was like, play that field. Don't let him win. But then he straight up is like, I bet you liked seeing me on my knees in front of you, huh? And she was like, no fucking comment. He was just like trying so hard, like with... with this moment and then like the things he was trying to make her write and read, like he is trying so hard to like help her see what's really there, but she just, she's not there yet. And she I think it's hilarious. Get it. And she she's even like, uh, like he's flirting as a game of distraction, nothing more. And I'm like, somebody help her. But she ends up going into the weavers. Rice was like, run like hell if you get caught. And that was his only advice. So while (laughs) this part just makes me fucking laugh because it's just this, to me, when I think of the weaver, I just think of this like really like old grandma living out in the woods just by herself. And she's just singing her heart out, minding her own fucking business. And here comes Farah coming into the weaver's house. Like, I'm going to take your shit. (laughs) Breaking in, bitch. 
<laughs> she keeps going like, I hate that she says this to herself like two billion times. She's like, I am the fucking wolf. I am the wolf. You are not the bait. You are the wolf. I'm like, honey, how many times do you have to tell yourself that? Get the fuck <laughs> on with it. Isn't that what you said about Jacob in the last episode? I am the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But as our poor little weaver is singing her heart out, she hears the ring calling for her and she grabs it. But then the weaver literally like snaps her neck, looks probably somewhere in the direction of Farah, but you know, a bitch is blind. Essentially, Farah tries to run, but she like locks all the doors and she, the only way out is the chimney, which if the girl can, with a snap of her fingers, lock all the doors, you think she would be able to plug a chimney, but that's besides the point. So this you think part... <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, My ass is not fitting up a chimney, so... <laughs> no. I wouldn't even be able to fit my... <laughs> Fuck. I wouldn't have even been able to put my thigh in it. <laughs> I'd be like, I guess I'm going to be dinner because I'm big like a snack. <laughs> oh, man. And this part actually made me like kind of want to throw up. This is one of the only times where Farrah is vomiting in the book, which she does about a billion times when I'm like, okay, like this makes sense. Because it's reasonable. It's disgusting. There's like fat, lard, whatever disgusting word you can come up with sticking to her. And not only that, but hair. Yeah, that visual. Like weaves people. She takes people and like. Disgusting. And so she's running out, running like hell, looking like literal hell. And Bryce is like, what the fuck did you do? And she's like, you bitch and he snaps her away back to valerius where she vomits on the floor in front of everybody <laughs> wait how do you pronounce valerius valerius valaris oh jesus okay yours sounds like a venereal disease to me <laughs> valerius <laughs> that's a little lame i love your pronunciations i'm sorry they just oh man <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, so This was the one point that I was kind of like, I'm not sure if I like Reese anymore because he sends her into this danger and he knows how like dangerous the Weaver is. He knows what she's capable of. And if Farah didn't have that like instinct of where the ring was and like how to get out and just have that like, she had that mentality that she had when she was a hunter. It was like survival. She was in survival mode. It was fight or flight. But if she didn't have that in that moment, she would have died like, and he was just lounging in a tree. Like, would he have gone after her? Would he have just been like, oh, well. I totally think he would have gone after her. But she was already in so much danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean. He was like climbing up the chimney and the weaver was like, ah, I've got your leg. And like listen, pulled her down. Sarah J. Mass didn't write Rice as the perfect character. Okay. He does have morally gray tendencies. You have to expect that with his character because he's not hiding it. So what else do you expect? I mean, he's gonna do some bullshit, which he just did. Literally, even <laughs> all of his friends were like, don't fucking do it. <laughs> but oh, fair. She was like, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Everybody's telling me no, I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So quick little side note. 
after she pulls out the ring, I think everybody in the room knows what it means, right? I think they knew hindsight. before she got the ring. Right, she was like, this thing, and it was the ring. She just won and worked her fucking ass off for that. I mean, if that's not a quality, I don't know what <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so wrong, but it's kind of right. And he takes her up to the room where she can finally get all that disgusting mess off of her. And it kind of like goes into this weird little sidetracked where we kind of get a little bit of backstory of Ianthe and how she's basically a pervert and tried to hit on Rice, which also makes me feel really sad for him because it's like, he does not have a good track record with women. I mean, like he cannot catch a fucking break. Nope. But yes, essentially we find out that Ianthe is a perv and of course, like she really was trying to hit on Lucian in that moment and she's a fucking asshole. I had some bad vibes, but I didn't know that it ran that deep. And then it made me scared for Lucian. So now that they've tested Farah's little magic trick where she can find objects because she has all of the elements of the High Lords, they send out a letter to the Summer Court like, hey, I want to vacate here. What's up? What's good? But really, we're coming to steal your book. So this is the part where they go back to see her sisters because they haven't heard word from the summer court yet. And I'm not going to lie. I wasn't excited to see them. Honestly, if they would have, I get it now, but if I would have never had to see them again, I would not have been sorry. Yeah, I agree. I think we express our devout hatred for Vera's family in the last episode. (laughs) But Fair shows up on their doorstep And I was like, hey, what's up? It's your sister. You thought I was dead, but here I am. And Elaine is like, oh my God, fair. And Nessa is the same old bitch. I mean, what else do we expect from her? So they kind of plan this whole thing out where they're going to get the human queens to come to their nice, cushy little house that Daddy Tamlin paid for. And they can't leave just yet because they have to send out a letter or whatever tomorrow. I don't really know. I thought that was kind of bullshit. Like they could have just winnowed back and then came back. They didn't have to spend the night. But the next day before they go off to send out the letter, they go out into this field where Rice is like, okay, it's time to practice some of your powers. And it was kind of a trap on Rice's part. Like I said, he is a morally great character. Yeah, I didn't like this part either. But yeah, go ahead. He's not supposed to be perfect. He's just supposed to be better. And he kind of sends her up. He's still a man. (laughs) He's still a man, okay? Like, that's the realistic part, okay? But the Ator essentially ambushes Pharaoh, which the Ator has been following him. And Rice makes this super mega dramatic entrance. And I'm just kind of like, was that necessary? Because he knew it was going to happen. So it's like, could you really, did you really have to do that? But he takes the Ator down within literally two seconds and calls his boy Az over there. And it's like, okay, go torture him. And Farah figures out that Rice knew about this and was like, you little bitch, you just baited me. Mm-hmm. And they kind of start fighting, which not very healthy, but I think it was playful. 
and he kind of keeps riling her up to like get her to show off her powers but actually she does something way cooler in my opinion she winnows into him because she's fucking tired of his shit and tackles him to the ground and i was living for this moment i was like (laughs) yes yeah because i was mad at reese at this moment i was like yes bitch get him get him (laughs) then i was like that tension though yeah that tension and she was like don't do that again (laughs) honestly the tension is the best part of this book i feel Mm -hmm. like that's the highlight you like get introduced to valaris and all these characters and everything but it's the tension you finally get like these sexual tendencies between reese and farah that you didn't get before and you see her ideals begin to change and it gets really interesting and spicy and it's not like at the end of the book like there's all this tension and it was like that's it like it's coming don't worry (laughs) (laughs) it builds it builds it builds (laughs) i think another interesting point here is that cassian really fucking hates nesta at this point like he is the most he is the most upset with her than any of the other people who accompanied her to the human realm like he is so pissed he is so already like attached to pharah that he is like, you bitch, you let her go through this and you didn't appreciate her. Like, how could you? Like, he's so upset. And I will say, like, he called her out and she literally had nothing to say. But Elaine, this was her only redemption arc for me. She actually, like, acknowledged they were shitty. Which I don't know if Nesta ever does. Again, I'm not done with the series. Yeah, Jada's like, no. (laughs) No, she's still a bitch. (laughs) So at least Elaine, Elaine might be a step higher than Nesta for me, even though Nesta went back for Farah after she got abducted by Tamlin. No, definitely. So they end up giving the letter away and they're like, okay, well, it's time to go now. That was literally it. I don't know why they couldn't have just let them do it, but they had to see them do it. And on top of that, sneaky, sneaky, Farah sends a little letter to Tamlin. But we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to move on, but we're going to talk about that. When... They're waiting for everyone back at Valerius. Um, she's talking to Imran. And then I love Imran because she was like, oh, yeah, that necklace was bullshit. And um, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right before they are heading to go to dinner. And after they have dinner, they split off from the group. And while they're walking together, I feel like there are some points that... Farah discovers in this moment is one why Reese has not necessarily the rights, but she understands why he acts like a dickhead. Two, as is obsessed with more, and he's been obsessed, even more obsessed than Cassian, which Cassian doesn't really obsess over her, but she understands the dynamic of the trio in that moment. And three, which is my favorite part, is that. Reason was sending her music to her cell in the dungeon because while they are walking, she hears the music being played and understands that he really was on her team the entire time. I forgot about this part. I love that so much because it just, she like, she, when she hears that music, she's like, oh my gosh, this is what I heard in the dungeon. Like this came from Reese. Like, and uh, 
he was such a like quote unquote bad character in Akatar, and at this moment she realizes that like he really wasn't so bad. He was on my side. Like I think she's already kind of gotten that, but it's it's starting to click more and more and more as the pieces are starting to fit together. It aligns. And even though it's slow, he's letting her figure it out for himself, right. which is the perfect way to do it because he he was just like, "Oh, I did this, this and this for you." He's not tooting his own horn. Exactly. But after she finds out that Rice really has been on her team, it gets even spicier. Sarah J. Mass is like, okay, here's a little spice with your rice. And then she's like, here's some Tabasco sauce out of my purse. Okay, it's time to get with it. And so <laughs> I got hot sauce in my bag. So they're sending little notes, little um, sex, if you will, through the bond. And... I thought, like I said, I, th- I think this is a little amateur for a 500-year-old bat boy, but it's fine. It's fine. Like, we talked about Tamlin's game in the last episode. But it's like, damn, okay, like, he's, like I said, he's not perfect, but he's worth it. <laughs> he's a freak because I would not have compared licking my wounds to licking other places. Mm. that shit does not make sense to me i was not a fan of in the first book when he like she was crying in the cell and he came up and just like licked her tears away oh, yeah you know i blacked that out from my memory because <laughs> i was like um that's fucking gross but we're just he just licked that. straight up dirt off of her face <laughs> whatever not Sometimes mine these characters are a little too animalistic for me too I'm not little too much but um Still love the series. Then, finally, the next day, the moment we've all been waiting for is the training session with Cassian because she agreed to work with him because she was like, I ain't gonna let no bitch beat me up again. And they train for the first time. And he kind of slyly sneaks in like, so I heard about that little um letter you sent to your ex. And she literally is like on alert, like, the fuck did you just say that is none of your business and he's like backing up like okay like i'm literally just asking if you're okay like a friend would do i thought you would need to get it out and she was like oh like you're actually trying to therapeutically talk to me i'm not used to this and so you're taking me back to like psych nursing 101 (laughs) well here i am Therapeutic communication. (laughs) Therapeutic communication. But yeah, I was like, okay, like we love that he's like caring about his her feelings right now. But she is like totally like in the loop with this. And she gets a little carried away because she literally punches Cassian so hard with her flaming hands that she burns up the mitts and realizes what she's doing while she's crying through gritted teeth. Rice and as I kind of just wish I remembered what they looked like in this moment because they were totally eavesdropping on the conversation. (laughs) I just feel like she comes to this realization that like she's the only one who's been fighting for her and other people and that Tamlin didn't really fight for her this entire time. And that's why she's so upset. And at the very end, it gets even deeper that deeper than that because she goes into like what she truly feels guilty about and says like she killed them. And it should have been me, you know, like she was like, I shouldn't be standing here right now. And honestly, the guilt is so overwhelming that I don't really want to be. 
And that's when Recent sweeps in with his darkness and comforts her. And this would have been just such a beautiful moment if it wasn't for the fact that I was so distracted by Azriel and Cassian jousting in the dark. And I <laughs> was like laughing the whole time because you know these bitches were just trying to listen to what was going on. <laughs> they were just like jabbing at each other in the dark. And like in my brain, <laughs> I just see them like if this was a movie, their heads would like pop out every once in a while and they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> just pretending to get the tea <laughs> but recent comforts her and basically says like you're meant to be here you're gonna feel guilty for this and I don't deny that but I'm glad you're here this is where I come back we're we're doing like a, a sidetrack this is where I come back to where I parallel her with Elena Gilbert. And if you haven't watched The Vampire Diaries, you should because I have included them in literally all three podcasts that we've talked about. All three podcasts we've mentioned The Vampire Diaries and Twilight. Like it's nobody's <laughs> business. It's probably offensive to some people. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you haven't watched The Vampire Diaries, you need to go watch and come back and then you'll understand. But like this is where I pair Farah with Elena Gilbert because she has that compassion like she feels so overwhelmingly guilty for when she hurts people or when other people get hurt even if it's out of her control and Farah has that same drive just to protect everyone to put herself in harm's way for the betterment of others she sacrifices herself that's like Elena's thing but like the compassion that she has for other people like it eats her up inside that she killed two innocent fairies even though it was for the betterment of the entire world, it still drives her almost to insanity, which is understandable. I just feel bad for her, you know, because she's constantly giving. She has her entire life. She gave for her family. They went under the mountain. They were in danger. She put herself on the front lines. She saved them. Like she's constantly, she's never felt peace. Her Mm -hmm. own mother made her a scapegoat, practically. Made her a sacrifice. So she just can't catch a break. Hey guys, sorry to cut you off a little bit short. Um, We realized that we recorded four hours of Akamath content. And we cut it down a lot, but we didn't want to cut too much out because there's some great stuff here and we want you to be able to hear it all. So this is going to be in two parts. On top of that, part two gets into all of our spicier sections, which we have a lot to say on, but it gets a little weird at the end because we are so drunk, we can barely even talk. (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer, I don't even remember finishing the episode, so that's how boosted we got. (laughs) It's super boosted, so grab yourself a drink and get ready to get booked and boozy with us.